When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Season 6 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. During Season 6, you'll hear the likes of Pat Fitzgerald, Ron Rivera, Lisa Byington, Porter Moser, and many, many more. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our partnership with Sports Media Watch. You can find them and this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of the world-famous Chicago hot dog and a landmark institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. This family-owned business can be found at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. This week, we feature Oklahoma basketball coach and the man who led Loyola to the Final Four, Porter Moser. You know, I was so emotionally drained and upset that we lost because I, I really believe, you know, we were going to go on to, you know, to the Final Four again. And um, we lost in, to go to the Elite Eight, and then Lon Kruger retired. And it just kind of happened really fast. Lon Kruger retired, and... I got a call saying, what do you, what about Oklahoma? And I was kind of open to it. And the next day they called and it happened really fast. To say Porter Moser made an impact on college basketball in Chicago would be an understatement. An unlikely though scintillating run to the 2018 Final Four made Moser a household name and a much in demand head coach. His indomitable spirit combined with his fierce competitiveness made him one of the game's most attractive coaches. Three years after Loyola's improbable run, Moser made his move, leaving behind a legacy, but not his roots in the Chicago area. So, Porter Moser, tell me a story I don't know. Well, good to be on here, George. Um, well, I look back on just how much of a blessing it was for, for me to, to be in my hometown, coaching at a Jesuit school at Loyola, Chicago. I mean, I just look back on that and it was just, it was just an incredible blessing, but I, I, I look back on like how it actually came to light. And I was working for Rick Majerus at St. Louis and I, I was offered a couple jobs and I actually turned it down because um, coach Majerus told me to. And he was just like, no, you're going to be the coach in waiting here at St. Louis. And he kept on telling me that. And then there was a job that opened up uh, down in Texas um, and it was a, a lower D1 job. And I was talking about going in there and interviewing at a ho the hotel in Dallas. We were going to, uh, that, that hotel is connected. There was going to be the search firm, uh, the president and their committee. I was going to meet with them at the hotel and I kind of was interested. And, you know, I, I'd been on my fourth year there at St. Louis. And um, so I was thinking about going. And then uh, as, as the week is approaching, when the reality of me getting on that plane was going to happen. I was starting to think, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take that job. I don't know if I'm going to waste some money with the search firm. I was about to call the, the lead search firm guy. And all of a sudden my agent called and he said, Loyola's just fired their head coach. And I'm like, really? I said, Loyola, now that's a job that I would love. I mean, I know it's down, but it's in Chicago. It's, I played at a Jesuit school at Creighton. I'm coaching it. That would be something that would be a perfect fit for me. So my agent says to me, well, you know, the search that you're about to go interview with down in Texas has just got the search for the Loyola job. So I'm like, okay. So I got on the plane. I went down there. I interviewed and I gave my best foot forward. I went nuts in the interview. I went full throttle trying to get the job. I walked out and the search firm guys walking me to the elevator to go, or to go back to the terminal to fly back. And he, and he, and he goes, that was great. This, this is going to happen in like 48 hours. I think you're, I think this, this job's yours. And I said, well, I just don't think it's a great fit. And he looked like he was going to throw up. He, <laughs> he, 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 was, he was pale in the face. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, I just don't think this is a fit. You know what's a fit for me is Loyola Chicago. And he goes, well, I got that search. 
And I go, I know, <laughs> that's why I'm here. I wanted to impress you. I, want, I wanted to knock his socks off in this interview. And you, he says, well, Porter, that's going to be about six week process. He goes, I mean, they're going to, they're going to narrow it down to 10, do 10 phone calls. Then they're going to narrow it to four and do interviews at the final four. But that's a good five, six weeks out. This is going to happen in 48 hours. And I said, well, I'm going to roll the dice. I said, this isn't a fit. I'm going to walk away from this. And he said, I can't guarantee you that job. I can just, I can, I, I can get you probably in those 10 phone calls. And that's how I started. I got into the 10 phone calls. I got a 10 minute, I got a, a 30 minute to an hour phone call with Grace Calhoun. We did that. And then I get a call a couple of days later that I made the final four cut and that I was going to interview at the final four. And then I interviewed it in, in Houston at the final four and I got the job. Rambler fans and Rambler students that don't know Porter Moser soon will. Everything about me is about enthusiasm, passion, uh, family, and I believe it's all contagious. As I look back on the blessing of like, I'm glad I rolled the dice with that because look how my career took off um, in my hometown. Isn't that amazing? Because in your business, the coaching business or the managing business, there are very few people that get a job and stay there for life. Very few. Otherwise, you're a very transit person. No doubt. I, George, like 10 years at one spot, especially in the mid-major. And, and, and honestly, it was a low major when I started. And uh, to, to be in that and we, um, is a long, and I tell you, I could have stayed there longer. It was like gut-wrenching to leave. I loved it. I loved, I loved Chicago. I loved the place, but it was just Oklahoma. Oklahoma is just a special place. The leadership here, and it was the level, the timing. I kind of knew the NIL and the transfer portal was coming down. And I didn't know the realignment was going to do what it did. I, I, I had no idea. When the, they said we were going to the SEC, <laughs> I was like, what? Um, I, I had no idea, but I did see the, the NLI and a lot of this shifting towards these power conferences. Um, but 10 years was, was, is, is a long time now. And I'll, I'm, now that the transfer portal's here, I just think that the 10 years is, is going to be unheard of at the, at the mid-major level anymore. You're about to begin your second season in Norman. So how would you gauge your first? I have a lot of emotions with it. I have excitement. I have uh, eagerness. I have committed, um, driven, um, just a lot of emotions going through it. But the one emotion I have is um, I have no regret because I, I love where I was and I love where I am. You think about the journey. And that has been what's so, been so rewarding for me these last 10 years at Loyola. Because I'd be remiss if I didn't thank the people at Loyola for giving me that opportunity to leading with me a culture of servant leadership to pouring into that program. And we built a culture based on sustainability. You know, some people are trying to run from where they were. Um, some people made a decision and they regret. They don't like where they came, they, where, when they landed. Um, I have both. In my first year, I've never been anything like it to where I had to basically sign a team through Zoom. I had to sign 10 out of 13 players through Zoom. And then I couldn't meet them until mid-June. And I was given the second hardest ranked schedule in all college basketball. So the mountain in front of me was, was very big, and I'm excited how we attacked it. Um, frustrated we didn't get in the tournament. We were the last one or two teams not to get in, and that's a whole nother Zoom of the selection process, so I don't want to get into that because I'll get my emotions going <laughs> high. But um, we had five top 15 wins. We established, you know, I, I connected with the student body. There's so many things that we got done. We had 19 wins. Uh, we, we've, you know, putting this team together at the last second. And, uh, you know, but it might be the new normal, George, because this year we had to sign eight, but I did have five returning guys. Um, but it's, uh, it's a tremendous place. The, uh, I covet culture. I covet good people. I covet where they do it the right way. And, uh, and they did that at Loyola. And at this high level at Oklahoma, that's the way they operate around here. So what is life in Norman, Oklahoma? Because let's face it, it's not Sheridan Road, Chicago. <laughs> You know what? I, I, I love it because it's a really, it's a, basically a suburb of Oklahoma city. And I didn't realize that I was geographically ignorant about the down here, but like we have an NBA city 20 minutes away, the Oklahoma city thunder, the city of Oklahoma city is literally 20 minutes. I can get to a thunder game in 20 minutes. I'm probably a shorter distance to go to a bulls game, but with traffic, it took me 50, you know? Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I like, I like a metropolitan area. I like this community of Oklahoma is this high energy community, high energy student body. 
So you have that great vibe and excitement in, of youthfulness of a college town, but they got great restaurants, great bars, facilities, everything here in Norman. And then you got a metropolitan area with Bricktown, with, with the canal down there in Oklahoma City and with all that. So you got a lot of diversity, a lot of activity and things to do. And um, I love that, that vibe that, that you have with a metropolitan area and a college town mixed. So what were the sequence of events, Coach, that finally convinced you to leave Loyola where you really made a name for yourself? So the, the first time we went to the Final Four, you know, it was God had a, a plan for me because it wasn't like there was an enormous amount of jobs that opened up. Like this year, this year, there was like six SEC jobs that were open, you know, and guys that got to the NCAA tournament that didn't even win a game, guys were getting opportunities all over the place. We went to the Final Four and I wasn't, I just said to myself, I'm going to give my team 100% of Porter Moser. I was not going to be dealing with all that until we were done playing. And by the time we got done playing at the Final Four, there really was, there was a couple jobs and I kind of looked at them, but it wasn't something I was, I didn't want to run from happiness and I stayed. And then the next year there was a couple things came calling and same thing. And then now we're four years later from 2016. And, uh, you know, we were in the pandemic. We go to the bubble, uh, the NSA tournament, and then we beat Illinois. Another fairy tale ride is underway for Loyola Chicago and head coach Porter Moser on their way to the Sweet 16. And we've lost a number one seed for the first time in this tournament. First game of the second round. And there was a handful of jobs open. There was a lot of them. There's a lot of them that people thought that was a good fit for me. And I was in the same mode. I just didn't want to talk to anybody until I was done. When we beat Illinois, there was another week that we stayed in the bubble. And all of a sudden, a lot of them, I was getting bombarded going. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to Zoom interview and talk about another job when I'm trying to prepare to win a national championship. And I didn't want my players to sit there and be thinking. And it was crazy. I was every media, everything I, I had to answer to. I just wouldn't go down that rabbit hole. And then when we lost to Oregon State, literally like six of the ones that were open were filled. And I'm like, I was fine. You know, I was so emotionally drained and upset that we lost because I, I really believe, you know, we were going to go on to, you know, to the Final Four again. And um, we lost in, to go to the Elite Eight. And, uh, and, then, and then Lon Kruger retired. And it just kind of happened really fast. Lon Kruger retired. And I got a call saying, what, do you, what about Oklahoma? And I was like, I've always, I mean, they've been to the Final Four in almost every decade. Uh, and I'm like, they've had basketball success. Um, and I was kind of open to it. And the next day they called and it happened really fast. They, they, you know, we had one talk through zoom. Then the next talk, they, they got on a plane and flew out here. And then I, they met with Megan and I and my wife and, um, and it kind of snowballed from there really, really kind of fast. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. Well, it sounds to me like your time had come. I mean, some people said this was about money and that would be understandable, but age, at age 52, which you were then, I mean, you had to be thinking it's time to climb some more rocks on the mountain. I for sure had this, this, this hole in my belly after the Final Four where I just didn't want to win and run. They were so loyal to me. Loyal was so great to me. The fan base was so great. And we went through some rain to get to that rainbow. And I just didn't, I, I wanted to keep it, established so it could the, the foundation was a little bit stronger to keep it rolling and I wanted to win again and I felt we could and um, 
So that's why, and to, to be able to go to a second Sweet 16 um, really was gratifying to, to that, that my decision to stay. Because there is, a, there is a, a thing about staying too long at a certain place. That's kind of a, people kind of say, oh man, he stayed too long. He wore out his welcome. You know, that was, you know, I, I never felt that. I never felt like I, you know, that I just. Well, I wasn't, just, it Theo, wasn't it Theo Epstein who basically said, you know, I, I'm, I'm at a place for 10 years and it's time to move on, which is what he did in Boston. And it's what he basically did in Chicago. Yeah, and I, I, I never had the number of 10 years. And that's just ironically what it was. It was just after that sweet 16 run, you know, I knew I wanted to do it again and I wasn't going to leave for any place. And it was just, I felt OU was, I could, you know, they, they coveted some of the things that I coveted at Loyola just at a higher level conference and everything, but it wasn't about the money. I mean, Loyola was being so generous, almost to the point where I was like, man, I don't know if it'd be good for your school. Um, but uh, it, it was, it was just time. It was just time. And with a lot of the things going in, in basketball and, you know, and, and like I said, I'll, I'll never, Chicago will always have a part of me. Um, I came back saying the seventh inning stretch. Oh, one, up two, up three. Which we won, by the way, George. And now I'm seven and one doing the seven things. Yeah, let let me put it. Let me put it this way: You better come more often. I, I know. <laughs> I, I know. Um, but this, and then, and then I just got greeted with just such open arms here, and uh, and they're continuing to do that. It's just a an unbelievable, welcoming place. Is well, the people of Oklahoma and Norman, Oklahoma. You lead a very hectic life, Coach, especially these days with the transfer portal. It's like sun up to sunrise and then some. So I'm wondering at what point do you start to think to yourself, this may be just a little too much. The, the, what's different in just not our lives, but a lot of the coaches, we've, we've talked about it. We got to do something with this because it, it's not good. Today's the anniversary of Skip Prosser passing away, you know, 15 years ago. And he was, it was well-documented that he was on this crazy month of July and felt like he had to be everywhere. And he went from Vegas to Orlando. I was actually on that plane with him. It's a red eye. You land in Orlando at like 6 a.m. You shower and then you're watching games again. And then that next week he went back home and he passed away in his office. And that was a wake up call for a lot of people. And I think we're forgetting about that because nowadays with this transfer portal, um, normally when the season's over, as a coach, you kind of decompress, you take a deep breath, you might have to sign one or two to fill a couple holes in the late signing period. You get a jump start on the young kids. I take a deep dive in the season and you just kind of take a deep breath with the, the stress of going from basically October through March of the basketball season. This year, April, May, and June was the most crazy time. And it's been two, two April, May, and Junes in a row. I'm having to sign eight. I'm having to sign like four starters and I had to hire three more coaches this year and it was just nonstop. When you have to sign eight and last year I had to sign 10 in the spring out of, out of, in 13, it's crazy stressfulness. Cause you're sitting there going, I gotta, I gotta sign a team. And, and, and that's the way it was. Loyola seemed like every year I had some guys back. I redshirted a guy. I might have to fill a hole here too late. So it's, it's been this transfer portal is, is, and combined with the NLI at the same time is something that is, it's something to be dealt with. Is the transfer portal going to stick around or is this eventually going to end? Because it, it just, I mean, I've talked to some coaches and it's like the bane of their existence and you're describing it that way because, you know, it wasn't that long ago that players would stay four years, three years, you'd be recruiting players. Now you're the transfer portal almost sounds like it's a professional sport. Yeah. And, and now they're coming out with like, at least up until this point, you could you only could transfer one time. Now they're about to unveil. You can have unlimited transfers. Oh, so that's could, right. Oh gosh. You could you could go here because you got this amount of money. Play well, and then put it as a bargaining chip. Now I'm going there to get more money. Next year, go there to get more money. Or it's just it's never going to stop. And uh, so yes, it's here to stay. And you just gotta, you know, for me, I'm going to continue to embrace the guys in my team to where they want to be a part of this family. They want to be a part of this culture. They want to be a part of this program. And 
And then I'm also going to fight to take care of them the best. I mean, I'm going to be fighting every day to, to, to have them be in the best situation they can be where they don't want to transfer for, for something else. And that's what I'm going to try to control what I can control. Right. In the end, you're still a coach. I, 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 all the stuff that's the periphery stuff, which really isn't so much periphery, it's, it's very much part of it. But in the end, you're a teacher, you're a coach. No, no question. And I, I think that teacher part is, 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 is something that'll never leave me. And that's one of the things that I love about my job. Um, you asked me about my, how my day went. Um, up until when I finally go home tonight and I see my wife and kids, my favorite part of my work day was those two and a half hours on the floor. Just, I'm in my element. I just love it. I just absolutely love practice. I don't want it to end. Um, the, the, my assistants and players will probably laugh and chuckle when they hear that because I don't. I love it. It's my favorite part of my work day. You left Loyola only to be replaced by one of your assistants, Drew Valentine, who wasn't even 30 yet. He's a smart cookie coach. Drew's beyond his, his, his years. And, and one of the things that I loved about Drew is he was a learner. And I think successful people are lifetime learners. I'm 53. Um, I feel like every year I'm trying to learn, grow, get better. I'm, I'm hungry to get better. And I, I, I just think that's such a big part of success. And when Drew started in 20, um, he started in 2016. It's the final four was his first year. Every meeting. So he was, think about it. He was probably 25, 26, 26 when he started with me. And every meeting he'd come in with his notebook and like he'd be taking notes. He'd be asking me questions after practice. We'd watch tape together and he'd be taking notes. He hung on everything, was just trying to soak everything in. And he was just such a, a learner. Trying, He just wasn't, I'm trying to get the next job. And that's a great example for young people. People ask me all the time. I speak on leadership things. Um, I've, I've brought in my companies have brought me in to speak to their people. And they ask me about, you know, my ascension into the ranks, my, where I'm at as a leader. And I'm like, be great where you are. You know, some people are constantly chasing the next thing and they, they don't, they don't focus on where their feet stand. And I, I think be great where you are. And that's what Drew was really good at. He was really just how can, and Brian Mullins was that way. Emmanuel Dildy. I've had great assistants. Um, you know, Matt Gordon was with me a long time there. Daniel Robinson. I've been blessed to have some great assistants and that's kind of been our theme is let's do whatever we can do to make Loyola great. And, and in the future, it, if we're great, you're going you're gonna to get opportunities. And, you know, Brian all, then got Southern Illinois after we went to the Final Four. You know, Danielle Robinson's now the head coach at Cleveland State. Drew's the head coach of Loyola. I'd like to thank Coach Moser. His, his journey and his story is so inspiring to all the young coaches out there, all the adversity that he's had to go through. And I'm just, I'm so proud of him. I'm so happy for him on his opportunity. And I can't thank you enough, Coach, for, for everything that you've taught me and, and everything that you've done to get this program to the place that it's at now. You, you, you look where Loyola started. Now you got a bunch of us that are head coaches. And, uh, and I think the main theme, and Drew's a great example of it, is be a lifetime learner and be great where your feet are. Want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know? It's easy. Just follow me on social media, at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We resume with Porter Moser on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. So take me back to the magical year of 2018, because it was really something for you and the Ramblers and for the city. You had a very good and a very smart team. When did it cross your mind you might be Final Four good? Was it the win against fifth-ranked Florida, or am I too early on this uh, this ladder to success? I'd have to agree with you. You know, I, I, we felt we were we felt in the preseason we felt we were clicking, like we thought we were going to be pretty good, but we didn't really. It was just kind of what we thought you know, in practice every day. We knew we had a special group that the culture was really implemented by like every day in practice was the guys were going so hard. They were pulling for each other. So it just wasn't just one win. It was the accumulation of how we worked in the summer, in the fall. So we saw it. We saw everything mounting and his version of point guard in the second half. It's going to be a pleasant flight home to Chicago. The boys from Wyoming, the Ramblers pull off the upset 65-59, their first win over an SEC school. 
in six years and their first win over a top five opponent since 1984 when they knocked off fourth ranked Illinois. And then when we beat Florida, the guys looked around. I remember going, you know, we had the crazy thing. We had to like drive after the game two hours because the flight that we had to get on was, in, it, was it was cheap, cheaper and we had to fly out of another city. So imagine we beat Florida, then we had to shower, get on a bus and drive two and a half hours, spend the night to get up at five in the morning to take a 6.30 flight back to Chicago. I mean, we just laugh at some of the stuff we had to do um, and, and instead of taking a charter, which we did after the final four. But, um, but I remember that drive back to the, the, the city where we were flying out of and we were just kind of, our phones were blowing up. It was all over sports center. We beat a number five team. And we were just like, you know what? We, we can be pretty good. A and we also were sitting there. Our trainer comes up and it's like, yeah, Clay's going to be out a while. If you remember, Clay Custer got hurt in the first half of that game. Um, and, and then we, we weren't great in those next five games. We were two, we went two and three in the games without him. And here's another little funny fact. So we ended up what we ended up 32 and six that year, 32. Clay missed five games going into the Michigan game. Going to the Michigan game, we were 32 and five, 32 and five. And we were two and three in the games Clay, Clayton Custer was out. So that means we were 30 and two when Custer played. That's a heck of a stat. We were 30 and two because he missed five games. We were two and three and we were going into the Michigan 32 and five. And um, so, you know, we, that Florida game, that was, a, it was a key thing, but we lost Clay for five games right out of that. So how we bounce back and you know what? It's the same thing. We were without Ben Richardson at that time. Ben didn't play in that Florida game. And here's another thing, looking back on that year and how, how, you, how things evolve. When Ben got hurt, he had to have surgery in his hand, so he was going to miss 10 or 12 games. And we're just like, God, we're really good, and now we're out with Ben. You start to feel sorry. And that's why you know, I'm a big faithful guy, and I just my faith means it's, is there's always a blessing somewhere. God's got a plan somewhere. And in those 10 games – Lucas Williamson got the opportunity to play and Ben kind of took him under the wing and we just kind of threw Lucas in the fire. And then Lucas got the confidence playing. And then when Ben came back, Lucas was already confident. Like I'm going to, so Lucas was in the rotation and Lucas was key for us in a lot of ways in a lot of plays. I mean, in the, in that final four run. And if Ben didn't get hurt, I don't know if we would have thrown Lucas in the fire that much. So just things were happening behind the scenes like that, that you just never know that play a big part the games in the tournament were <laughs> dramatic to say the least i mean anyone biting their nails had to wind up biting someone else's nails i mean it was incredible the close games that you played yeah yeah that was uh there was uh, <laughs> it was a combined uh, less than five points i think and you know it was um he, here's here's another story like in um that I, I'd love to tell about Lucas Williamson. And obviously Lucas just finished his career at Loyola as the winningest player ever. And there's been a lot of things, I mean, just unbelievable career and impact. But here's a little sign of what was to come. And it's a great, I'll pull my Steve Stone. It's a great lesson for all you young players out there. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, so we run a late game play. It's called, it's called Basic Hammer. And it's a late game play. We practice it a lot. End of practice, we'll run over a series of late game things, and then that's how we end practice. So we were, honest to God, Dante Ingram is the guy. He's the trail spot. And this part where he usually catches it and he reverses it, he has to catch it at the trail spot, fake the reversal, and then snap it back to the wing where it came from. And Dante Ingram, almost literally 100% of the time, he was in our late game lineup. Lucas was not. He was a freshman so all of a sudden we're in that stage. We had to get a stop. We actually subbed Lucas for Dante um, with that. We get the stop and we, you know, it's not like we're going to call timeout. So we're running down the court. It's like a minute and 20 or something left. And we're down, I think four. And I'm, I'm on my side doing the signal for the hammer play. And I, you see kind of Lucas, all of a sudden he, you know, it just shows you what, what listening on the sideline, he runs and he does Dante spot. Cause that's what he's in for. He comes down, gets the trail spot, does exactly the little thing, part of the play, snaps it back, and we throw the, the ball into the post where Ben Richardson just set a back screen, and then he turns baseline and he wheels and he throws a hammer play to Clay Custer, and Clay Custer hits the three. Here's Williamson holding. We come up on the final 60 seconds. Custer from deep. Splash! We are tied at 60! That 
was a huge play. You call that hammer where the ball goes on one side and then there's an up screen. Now we're within one or tied it up. Like that was all over Twitter, that play. And what people don't know is Lucas Williamson usually not in that spot. It's just he was always probably attentive, sitting there listening to it and did the little thing that made that play work. And that is such, a, I, I say that story at clinics all the time. When I speak to other places, I'm like, man, Lucas Williamson sat there and knew what to do on the biggest stage in a crucial time. He was folk paying attention in practice all those times when Dante was running it. And just a huge execution that enabled us to get to that last minute, that last shot that Dante hit. That was a huge shot by Dante. Here's another thing. And I could go on all day. You asked, you, you opened up the rabbit hole talking about. Like, I'm glad I did. So we missed the free throw. I missed the free throw. If you look at that play that Dante Ingram hit that shot against Miami, Dante falls down on the ground. And we have this thing where we say on our wall, coach wall, rebound down. If you slow-mo that Ben Richardson is blocking out the shooter, the free throw shooter, the ball goes up, Dante falls down. Miami's guys got about to get the rebound and Ben Richardson rebounds down. What rebounds down mean is a guard when he's on the perimeter comes crashing down and comes flying in for a rebound. Ben Richardson grabs that rebound. And when he grabs the rebound with six or seconds or five seconds left, Dante Ingram is, is on the ground. In one swoopy, Alistair Marcus, Dante gets up, and that's how we did the little hook action. And Dante hit that shot at the buzzer. One time out, they don't take it. Oh, he got it! He got the buzzer! And the Ramblers are moving on! And it's just insanity, all the little things that you go over during the year and the, the thing to add up. Everything matters at the end of the year. I say that to my team in the summer, in the fall. Everything matters. All the little things you're doing now, everything matters at the end of the year. Isn't it great when you draw up a play, as you were mentioning earlier, and it works, especially in a big game? That's got to be tremendously satisfying for you. It is, because when, you, when it doesn't work, you know, you're, well. you're, you're feeling the <laughs> but, but it is. And you know, what, you know what really helps great mm -hmm. players? You know, it could be the best play, but you don't have a, a player to, to make it, make the shot, or make that. You need great players, and we, we had great players, and it was uh, – you know, Clay Custer going down there. Crutwig set the screen. Everybody was part of it. Ben Richardson had to throw the pass. Crutwig set the hammer screen. Clay had to fly there. Ben Rich Lucas had to pass fake, shift the defense that way and snap it back. And like everybody has a job. And uh, it, it is great when you see, you know, teams execute, but it's hard to execute without good players. So you make the final four. Crazy, right? And your team, Porter, is not the main story. The ageless sister Jean is, and as we tape this in late July, she will turn 103. Tell me a story or two about this incredible woman. I've, I, so people have probably heard so many of the ones I've said over the years, um, but I'll tell you one maybe you don't know. My daughter, uh, she transferred from Loyola to Oklahoma. So I'm here at Oklahoma. This is last spring. She came and then she went home. And she's walking on the women's team here. She's on this team. So she comes back to Norman and she goes, dad, I was up at campus and sister gave me a gift for you. And it was a binder of all the emails she sent me and all the pre-game prayers that she sent me. She saved them, wrote me a long note of what I meant to her, to Loyola and everything, and said she saved this for me and gave me a binder that I will treasure the rest of my life. And um, we still communicate, we still talk, um, and she's just an amazing woman. And I remember, uh, I've told this story many times, my very first time I walked into the Genteel Center, the, the Norval Center, actually, the Norval Center is the, the new office complex. I walk up to my office, when I walked in my office for the very first time, there's a manila folder on my desk, and I open up the manila folder, and it was a note from Sister Jean. I knew of her, but I hadn't met her. She, welcome. I'm the team chaplain. Just thought you might enjoy a little scouting report on who you're inheriting. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and proceeded to go on giving me a, a report on each player that's coming back. Good and bad. Wow. Good and bad. And uh, that was comical. You know, I, I don't know if I, I knew of Sister Jean and I knew she was good, but she didn't have, 
she was the sister gene to the world until we went to the final four. And how that really happened was when Dante hit that shot against Miami, even before the ends, like the, all the media hype going into the NCAA tournament, it wasn't anything about sister Jean. Dante hits the shot. We all celebrate. We're going crazy. We go up to our fans. We're walking off the floor and Tom Hitchell had wheeled sister down there in the wheelchair. And as you're walking off the floor, every single person's giving her a hug, bending down, giving her. And the sideline reporter is like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Well, who's that? And that's how it started. And 48 hours later, it was worldwide. It, it, was, it was insanity. And I remember it got so crazy. We're playing Tennessee, and we always do our prayer. And we, we sister was in her wheelchair. We were all in her, in her locked arms. And we're about to do it. I remember Bill Barons, our SID, says to me, Porter, the, the media, they, they want to be in on this prayer. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> I, we, we, I go, all week she did interviews. I go, something's got to be sacred. I go, you can't have media in her. And, and you, I look down the, the tunnel and like they got it roped off and it's like eight deep of cameras and people. And it's about 40 yards away and where we're going to do outside of our locker room. And we're looking there and they're all down there like a bunch of you know, people waiting for a little bone, like just anything like <laughs> waiting to get a, a piece of it. And I like, right when I'm right when I'm saying to Bill, I go, Bill, come on, something's got to be sacred. We can't have all these people. Let's just do our prayer. And, and right when I said that, sister's like, hey, let them down. Come on in. She's waving all the people down. <laughs> like, she's hey. a star. Oh, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to put my foot down. I'm trumping this. I go, all right. No cameras inside the circle. <laughs> like here, I'm thinking I'm trying to get a little authority in this situation when I've lost all authority. So we're interlocking arms. And I'm telling you, I'm looking around. Every shoulder and between every person's leg was a camera. And all you heard, the entire sister, sister Jean always started her prayer. Good and gracious, good and gracious uh, God. And you're hearing, you're just all shudders. <laughs> Good and gracious God, we know we are ready for this game. Don't let those Tennessee team members scare you with their height. Height doesn't mean that much. We know they're out to win, but we have that craving to get up to this next step. And we want to see that big W at the end of the game. Amen and go Ramblers. And video cameras trying to get an angle inside the circle in, in between people's legs over their shoulders. I'm like, I grew up Catholic, but this is putting this Catholic thing on a stage. <laughs> like we're trying to exploit this thing right here. And uh, but it was um, it was it was quite the phenomenon. Um, I mean, she she almost upstaged your team. You know what? You know, if she was on the Zoom with me, you know what she would say to you, George? Mm -hmm. What do you mean almost? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And we'd laugh at it. Just like how she said she became when they when some reporter told her, you know, you're you're uh you're nationally famous now. And she corrected him. She was, no, I'm worldwide. <laughs> Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. You lost the semifinals. Uh, it had to be so deflating. Imagine Loyola national champs again, 55 years later. What a fantastic.
fantastic run it was, but it's Michigan taking the semifinal game 69-57. The Bays and Blue is all set for a Monday night appearance. You know, that's now that we're talking about something that I I it's I think about a lot. Um, I can tell you every play down the stretch. Um, it took me to the pandemic before I watched the game over. And that's that's the truth. It took me two years to rewatch the Michigan game. It wasn't to the pandemic where I just sat down. I had all this time and I just I watched every other game that year. But it took me two years to watch that Michigan game because um, we believed we believed we were going to win the national championship um, in our locker room. Um, every we, we believed it. And uh, we weren't when we when we got paired against Miami the first round, we weren't saying we're going to the final four. We just said we're going to beat Miami. That's all, that was that was our talk. And then there was Tennessee. We weren't saying we're going to the Sweet 16. We were just like, we're going to beat Tennessee. But when we got to the Final Four, I, I think we thought we were going to win the national championship. And um, we were up 10 in the second half. And we had seven bad possessions in a row. And we were really efficient on both ends. And we just had seven bad possessions in a row. And it kind of – just, it just was like a really, really bad run. We hadn't had that bad of a run. And um, – Here's something behind the scenes that, I mean, true loyal fans know this because they followed us and we talked about it a lot, but Andre Jackson was a huge factor in our game, just huge in our, in our year. Um, and if you add up the five games, he was the leading scorer, never let us in one game, didn't hit one of those game winning shots, but he was crucial in every game. The very first play of the Michigan game, first half, he drove down the lane, went up and you see him land and he grabs his knee. And then he he, he kind of limps back and he keeps playing, doesn't say anything to us, kind of starts to fight through it. But then when you really watch the game, he was totally ineffective. He had two points, guys were driving around, and he this just shows how tough he was. Never said a word to us until after the game. The next day they get back there, like, like or when we got back, like a couple days later, like, yeah, we just MRI'd Andre, he tore his meniscus. We're like, what? He played the rest of the game with a torn meniscus. And I mean, and it, it was it was just crazy. I, I've never seen that. The doctor said, I, I don't know how he played. I don't know how he played. Um, and I just think it was his will saying, I'm not going to sit down on this stage. But it's just unfortunate for him. But, you know, we were right there. Um, you know, I, I, I think about it uh, a lot. And it drives me to be there on that stage again. But the, it, it was it was tough. Uh, Clay Cuffster's on my staff now. And we'll, st we'll start talking about it. And uh, we both just kind of, um, I don't want to live in regret. I don't want to live, you know, in that, but it fuels me. But um, it was a, it was a special run that we were, we were, we were close to doing something truly amazing. I remember spending time in your office and you were so proud of what you'd accomplished at Loyola, including an upgrade to the Gentile arena and the new practice facility. It was almost as if the school was running through your veins. I look back and it was, it was, it was funny, George, because I referenced that time um, in my NIL meeting today, I was, I was meeting with my AD, Joe Castiglione and Marcus Bowman, my uh, uh, administrator, sports administrator. And I was just saying, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to always, you know, accuse me of, you know, and that's fine of fighting tooth and nail for my program. And I remember some of the battles I was fighting when I got to Loyola, when I got to Loyola, they just, the Norvals, the Norvals were re, they did such a beautiful job of, of helping us, recreate Gentile arena, move it to the court, getting the offices. And it was amazing. But when, when, but we had four sports in there, what people don't remember is, was we got men's and women's volleyball, men's and women's, a lot of teams don't have men's volleyball. So we were sharing that court with four people. Plus they were doing graduations, fairs. I remember my first year, we we're about to practice and doing some, some workouts. They're like, um, no, we have an intramural Frisbee golf lined up in there. You have to go to the rec center. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm getting booted for Frisbee golf. <laughs> and I'm like, what? This is what? So then we used to have to go up to the rec center where they, they were at curtains. So I remember practicing for a big game one time and we were, there was a curtain and there was intramurals going right next to us. I'm trying to speak over intramurals. And then we kind of fought for that. And next thing you know, Al Norville stepped up and we built the Norville center. And now we have that beautiful practice facility, but there were so many little victories of things fighting for everything um with the program and um you know it's just it's just part of it you know and i look back on those days and um i'm glad that i fought and i'm glad and i'm grateful 
that they listen, that they, you, they were willing. The Tom Kellys of the world, the Father Garanzini's of the world there that just, um, I remember, you know, with Tom, Tom and I, you know, Tom was kind of our sports administrator and just so many battles we had. And for him to have that vision, and we still stay in touch. We text uh, Tom and I and just, and Steve Watson comes along and Steve was a game changer for us and so many things with Steve um, that he just, they just had a vision and they, they believed in the vision we were trying to say to him saying, you know, we can do this. And like, and they believed it. And just so many things happened and snowballed that, gosh, when we got on that campus, what it was 10 years ago. You're a big sports fan. We all know that. And of course, as you mentioned, you're a diehard Cubs fan. I wonder what it was like for you when they won the World Series. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. I, I, I mean, if you had my phone here, you'd look at it, but it was really kind of a cool thing. So um, the, the the game they clinched, it was in Cleveland. And a lot of people were wanting to watch it at bars. And I didn't want to watch it at a bar. I didn't want to be shoulder to shoulder. Um, and I didn't want to, I wanted to listen. And so I grew up with a bunch of guys from Naperville, guys I went to Bennett Academy with. And um, we got together and I have a condo in the city and we watched it had food catered in. Um, I can say this now. I mean, we had champagne, we had all this stuff and guys that I grew up that we, that we endured like 30 some years of this. And in between innings, we, we, we cranked up the music. Like we were at a bar thing came, listen to the telecast and everything. And when we, we won it, we had, we were like grown men crying. And it was really cool to share it with some guys that we grew up with going to Wrigley. We used to come in and take the train in and, get a bleacher ticket back when they had three rows in right field with the chain lean fence and get in for eight bucks in the right field bleachers and to sit there. And uh, I'm not afraid of losing my job anymore at Loyola, but that night we went down to Wrigleyville and I was at Wrigley. I had my hat down low. Nobody knew the hell who I was. <laughs> and I was right there in the middle of the scrum. Really? I went down there that night. Oh, hell yeah. Wow. I went with my hat, my hat down, my, my high school buddies that we were with, and we went down there and we were part of the atmosphere. And I mean, they were, it was, it was fun. And, you know, sister Jean's not going to fire me over that one. No, I hope not. You have four kids. Two of them play basketball at OU. This has really become a family affair. It's really cool. It started at Loyola. My daughter uh, walked on the women's team. And I, I didn't, I was unsure of how, you know, with dad being on campus, it was so cool walking in the hall and she'd pop up and have lunch with me. And I'm like, this is so cool. And then my son, Jake, um, was thinking about walking on first at Loyola when I took the job. And I'm like, do you want to go play at a lower level somewhere and where you can play or, you know, but he wanted to walk on. And I was really skeptical of being my own team. You know, it's one thing being on the women's team where you're, but it's another thing in the locker room, you know? And, uh, cause sometimes I hold guys accountable. <laughs> And it's, it's sometimes dad's having to be the guy holding some of his friends accountable. And uh, so, but I couldn't, it, it's been absolutely a blessing. It has been so cool. He understands his role. It's been, you know, he's high energy. I love seeing him every day. And I got two younger ones, two boys playing at Norman North high school here. And so my daughter, we go to her games, when she comes to ours, we're, the men's and women's teams are really close. And uh, it's kind of a really cool dynamic. And I'm a lucky guy to have my kids here and, we have a big Sunday night dinner a lot and they'll pop in on Sunday night dinner and I let them have their space. I'm not jumping into their apartment going, Hey, you know, I, I let them have their space, but it's, it's been really cool. I asked this final question to all my guests. If not for basketball, what would you have been? I grew up in Naperville. My dad was, um, it was Moser lumber, Moser enterprises. He was a big land developer in Naperville and um, the, the Naperville Riverwalk, my dad's statues on there. It was his idea. And when, when he'd come home at night, back when I was probably, you know, this was in the in, in mid seventies, he'd come home and he'd go to San Antonio, he'd lay out the blueprints and he'd be like, I want to bring this river walk to Naperville. And I, I remember him talking about that. And ironically, our final four was in San Antonio. 
So he, I remember laying bricks on the Riverwalk there in Naperville. My dad, I mean, before the free Nike labor laws, he had me sitting there laying bricks free when all my friends were driving by to Centennial Beach with all the girls and going there. And I was laying bricks. <laughs> and uh, but my siblings got into Moser Enterprises, uh, Moser Lumber, and uh, I was the youngest of four. I was a business business management major. And uh, I remember on my graduation, we don't have one coach in our entire family tree. And I remember my dad talking to me about coming to work for him. And he, and I said, dad, I, I, I think I want to coach. And he kind of looked at me and said, how much money are you going to make? And I said, well, you know, <laughs> I am going to volunteer my first year in bartending at night to make money. And he says, is it something you love? Is it something you want to do? I said, dad, I, my college, he had such an impact on me. I, I, I just, I want to do it. And he goes, if you love it and you got to do it, that's your path, not mine. So that's, that, that meant the world to me that he gave me his blessing. But if I didn't get into coaching, I would have gone to work for him and, and moved back to Naperville and got into the family business and and uh, and done that with my siblings. I think I can say this on behalf of everyone here. You were an absolute joy to follow and personally to deal with. Continued success. And thank you, Porter Moser, for telling me a story I don't know. Thanks, George. Appreciate you having me as your guest. My thanks to Loyola University, Oklahoma University, CBS Sports, the SEC Basketball Network, True TV, and March Madness Live for those spectacular highlights. My thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that helped make this wonderful podcast possible. TJ Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, and Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.